Hello, everybody. Welcome back to our weekly Penguins chat here. Andrew Destin checking in with you alongside Matt Benzel. Um, We're recording this after Monday's practice. I'm stationed here in Nashville. Matt, of course, back in Pittsburgh after spending the last week covering the team while I was out. Um, before we get into the podcast, though, I want to remind you that we are brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. There's no better place to get new windows and doors installed in your home than Pella, who can help you save on energy costs year-round. Schedule a free in-home consultation with your local Pella Windows and Doors to find the right product for your home and budget. Give them a call at 866-593-1560 to discuss your project further. Again, that's 866-593-1560 to get started planning on your new windows and doors installation with Pella Windows and Doors of Pittsburgh. Uh, well, Matt, you, of course, have been with the team uh, this past week, covering them three games, dropped two of them, secured the one to salvage that stretch over the Thanksgiving time. Um, but you can see the banner underneath me, uh, the Penguins power play. That's certainly something that's been a big topic of the conversation. Um, I'm sure we'll get into discussing the games at large and getting into some other big themes. But um, the power play, certainly something that's been a struggle here. I'll frame it to you just as it is below. Um, what's been the problem with this power play for the Penguins here of late? Well, when you went to California for Thanksgiving a week ago or whatever it was, did you think that the power play would somehow get even worse while you were gone? I didn't think that was possible. They did. <laughs> they did. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, uh, it's just been trending downward steadily really over the last probably dozen or so games. And then that game against the Rangers, the one nothing loss on Wednesday to go over five, um, you know, again, one nothing loss, like one goal makes the difference on the power play and they weren't able to break through. And it kind of seemed to be the kind of the breaking point for Mike Sullivan. We saw him do, I think, something we we kind of threw out there as a possibility in the past that maybe he does the little trick where he splits up the top players into two units. That's more of like a mental reset than it is like an actual solution to tactical problems. Lasted one game in Buffalo. Um Reunited those guys Saturday um, against who the heck did they play? Toronto didn't make a difference. So uh, you know, after practice today, Monday in Cranberry, um, it was still kind of the same five guys you would expect with Brian Rust being back in the mix, and they're going to try to figure it out. I mean, we can go a lot of different ways about what they could do for potential solutions, but I, I think the big thing right now is just it's clear. Um, it's a fragile group when it comes to the power play. And I think in some cases, particularly with a guy like Malkin, you see it bleed into his five on five game as well. If he's not getting those points and he's kind of struggling on the power play, it, it starts to affect um, five on five play as well. So I, I think that's why Sullivan stepped in a few days ago. I was like, all right, let's, let's try to just put these guys up as a mental reset. Now that that's done, um, you know, how about we talk about some potential solutions if, um, you know, if those things exist right now. Right. When you mentioned potential solutions, I'm sure we'll get into that as well. But fragility, <clears throat> excuse me, that's a term that you bring up there when describing this group. Um, the first place that my mind goes to is, is there a solution there that exists on the roster? I mean, we've talked about extensively of um, the depth of this group uh, at large, the whole roster in general. But when you look at it, the way the roster is constructed, is this an issue that's something that is going to persist for 82 games? I mean, 20 is certainly still a small sample size, but there has to be a little bit of a fear that this is who they are to some degree, right? Or is that an overreaction? 
No, I mean, I, I, I mean, are they going to be an elite unit? I don't know. I think it's it's fair to wonder at this point if that's going to happen. Um, in terms of a fix in the roster, I don't think there's like one guy that can put on that unit, and it's suddenly going to change everything. I mean, I think, you know, as crazy as it sounds, given that you have probably four Hall of Famers on this team, plus a forty goal scorer and Jake Gensel, plus a four hundred goal scorer and Jeff Carter. Plus, you know, Riley Smith and everything he's done, Raquel. I mean, some really talented players, and they're still missing certain elements um, of what would be a really good power play. I mean, you know, I, I think we can start at the point. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, or maybe not a lot of people, maybe some people kind of look at it and say, okay, well, they brought in this Carlson guy and it's not working. Um, maybe they need to go back to Latang. I don't think the point man has really mattered. Um, you know, I think their problems are elsewhere on that unit. I mean, I guess maybe you can make a case for the familiarity factor with Chris Letang. Um, if those two guys are kind of interchangeable, maybe that's the way that they go. Um, you know, Monday's practice, it was still Carlson there. Um, but I, I think if you look at where the rest of the guys are deployed, I mean, I, I think that's fair to question, you know, if they should make more drastic changes and also like what, you know, is there limits to what they can do? I mean, you look at Sidney Crosby, you know, one of the top, five, six, seven players in NHL history. And, you know, they have them parked down off that right post where we've seen them time and time and time again over the years. And while he's really good at, at, you know, some tips and making plays down low, you know, when he's parked down there, he's not getting a lot of touches. And, you know, you can make the case, okay, like why not put him on one of the flanks, um, maybe Gino on the other flank, just as a way to get the puck on Sidney Crosby stick more often and get some more playmaking there because, you see him so much just kind of passing the puck around on the perimeter and it's not going anywhere. And then the bumper, I mean, for folks who don't know what the bumper spot is, you know, they often kind of line up in, in almost like a diamond formation and then they stick somebody like whether it's Sid or Brian Russ kind of in the middle of it all. That's the bumper spot right there in the slot. And they don't really have a good player for that. Um, you know, it's kind of a weird position. It, it, it's a shooting position at times, but it's also – um, you know, a playmaking position when they're kind of pressured on the perimeter and they kind of force it into the middle to kind of relieve the pressure. Other teams, when they get the puck in the middle like that and the PK is stretched out, they can attack and make quick plays. And the Penguins just are really deliberate and don't get much accomplished when that happens. So I don't know, maybe maybe Jake Gensel's a guy who can be in that role. And then you talk about the net front. I mean, Penguins fans love Patrick Cornquist and kind of the chaos agent that he was back in the day. He would just kind of park in front and like, just kind of thrash around like a drunk dude in a mosh pit and somehow it worked. It would like distract goalies, both, you know, you'd have multiplayer players down low who were trying to clear them out. And I know the penguins in part moved on from him years ago. I mean, one, they kind of saw where things was were trending with him and his age and kind of health concerns, but also they wanted to go for more of a movement based power play. And he was like a big old anchor right in front of the net. But now they could really use a guy like that, particularly with a guy like Carlson at the point who is willing to shoot from the point. So, you know, in terms of a, a potential net front replacement, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, Andrew, but I, I don't really think they have a good option. I mean, Jeff Carter is big and has pretty good hands still, but, um, you know, he's just too slow in terms of puck retrievals to, to kind of use him in that role in the top unit. Um, I know Zahorna is like a tall gentleman, but uh, he's not like – you know, a big guy who's going to screen the goalie. And I don't think he's skilled enough to, to be on the top unit. And then, you know, all their other options are just smaller guys. So, you know, it's not all about size when it comes to screening the goalie. Um, you can move through sight lines, but, you know, you look at their personnel and to me, it doesn't seem like they have like 
a, a tremendous option from the net front position either. So, I mean, that's just talking straight personnel. And then, you know, we can get into their tactics and, and maybe their lack of innovation there. Yeah, exactly. And that's the next point I probably want to get to. But you, you bring up the net front point. I'm right there hand in hand with you. I mean, I look at the unit, I look at the roster, what that's can, how it's been constructed. It's, you know, the criticisms we see on social media, wherever it may be about maybe this isn't the most physical unit or the one that has somebody who can, like a Hornquist, who can park himself at the net front and be really a disturbing presence. That guy doesn't really exist on the roster. And my mind almost goes to the point of, again, this is too premature. We're a long ways until March for a trade deadline or anything like that. But if it needs to be, you got to go outside the organization to get a solution there. I don't know what that looks like or have a name that immediately comes to mind off the top of my head. That's just where my mind goes to of maybe this isn't something that can be fixed, you know, tomorrow, uh, Tuesday against the Nashville or Thursday against Tampa that we see real progress. If you don't have that guy, how can you expect the unit to take that next step forward if somebody who can really uh, benefit it in that way doesn't exist on roster, right? Well, there needs to be a willingness to use a player in that role as well. I mean, it's kind of a chicken and the egg deal, but, you know, if they have that guy, are they going to want to use him that way? I mean, part of the reason they like Jake at the net front so much is he's able to pop off um, to the side of the net and make plays and, and kind of move around and do stuff. Like, you know, if they get a guy who, okay, he's a bigger, bigger guy who is willing to stand in front and take a beating and, and, you know, do some of the stuff that Hornquist did. I mean, will the Penguins want to use a guy in that regard? And I do think like with Carlson, um, you know, one of the differences between he and Latang is just his willingness to shoot. And then he's just got a, a much like more dangerous shot. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, you see him rip the one timer that he ripped in their last game from the point at five on five um, with all due respect to Chris, he just doesn't have that kind of shot in his arsenal. So um Maybe with a guy like Carlson at the point, they, they'd be more willing to do that shooting approach with a guy in front. But really, we haven't we haven't really seen an in inclination for them to do anything differently. It's a lot of the same stuff with um, guys standing around and just trying to force seam passes through. And meanwhile, the PK is just kind of sitting there waiting for them to try it. All right. You mentioned the seam passes there. and It's something that a lot of these guys keep saying, right, is the – you know, we're trying to pass it into the net. Mike Sullivan has said as much multiple times a season, and I know guys like Gensel have said it as well as others. Um, is there a concrete, obvious fix to you, um, you know, given the personnel, given the way that this power play is structured and what they're trying to do? Is there anything that jumps out uh, to you off the top of the head that, hey, this is a quick fix, this is something that could actually change it, or is this just ingrained in these guys that they, because of them not being physical enough, because of the roles guys have at the bumper at the flank of the net front, that, this is what it is. What what jumps out to you is maybe something they could do to avoid those from the cliches of the passing and internet to, to keep coming up. Well, I mean, I do think like a lot of it is just the mentality of these players. Um, you know, they're in their mid to late thirties. They've been doing it for a long time. Um, and it's kind of hard to break those habits. I mean, it, I, there's been a lot of criticism about uh, the coaching staff. Um, you know, Todd Reardon's the assistant coach or associate coach, I should say, who runs it. Um, but I think there's only so much they can do in terms of some of these individual decisions players are making. They're just kind of wired to try to do things a certain way. Um, and I think the change they can make is just getting these guys out of their comfort zone. I mean, we've seen them try the motion. It, it worked a little bit early on and then that kind of went away. But that's why I say like putting Sid in a different spot, maybe Gino in a different spot and forcing them to stay there. Um, maybe that just gets them to look at things differently. I mean, I think if you had Sid in that right flank there, um, you know, to the right of Carlson facing the net, um, 
you know, he can take some one-timers, but that's not the big thing for him. It's just him being able to kind of, you know, having two guys up top who can make plays and he can look for these seam passes. I'd rather have him try it than Gino. And if you throw Gino over on the left flank, sure, you take away the one-timer threat from him, but what's he score on? One, two, maybe one-timers a year in the power play? It's not as big of a weapon as as some fans might think and certainly not like a Alex Ovechkin one-timer. So maybe if you put him on that left flank, um, he gets a chance to kind of loop high in the zone and get downhill and make plays, you know, shooting um, on his strong side like that. Maybe it's just a different look and maybe unlock some different stuff. But, um, you know, I think just sticking with these guys in the same spot and just kind of thinking they're going to figure it out, I, I think that's kind of foolish. And um, I do think the coaching staff is going to be proactive about it um, at this point if the struggles continue. They're going to they're gonna start trying some some different stuff. I think they're not just going to keep doing the same thing over and over. Right. Final question before we move off this to some other special teams talk. Um, just given what you've seen at practice today as well as the last week, um, certainly, you know, an 0 for 18 stretch of the last seven games, um, it, is this something that you expect to – I mean, last week we're sitting here talking and you, you said it best, right? How do, could it, we have expected it to get any worse? But is this a trend that you expect to continue or is this a law of average things that regardless of if there's not, you know, overarching massive change that something will fix here, how much worse do you think this gets before it gets better, I guess is the way of putting it. I mean, I'll put it this way. There's like no signs that they're coming out of it anytime soon. I mean, just watching them today in practice, there was a lot of special teams work. And they still looked really bad, and they were frustrated. I mean, at one point, I thought Eric Carlson was going to just tomahawk his stick over the boards of the glass and shatter it. I don't know. Maybe he started thinking about how much that stick cost and didn't do it. But, um, yeah, I mean, they're frustrated, and, you know, it's not like their tactics have drastically changed. So, you know, I do think eventually some things will change. They'll start to get some bounces. I mean, they have too much talent um, to be clicking. And what are they at, like? 12.5% 12.5% or something like that. I mean, it, it's going to come up. It's just a question, um, you know, is it going to get to the point where they're like an average power player? Can they get to the point where it's, you know, an elite type unit where it's making difference in games? Because um, we really only seen it impact one game, game two in Washington, scored a couple of power play goals. That was the difference in that game. Other than that, they've struggled. I mean, in just 16 of 20 games this year, they didn't get a single power play goal. That's that's just crazy. So I, I do think, you know, it's inevitable that the results are going to improve. It's just a question of, is it going to improve enough? Is it going to be meaningful enough? And I don't know. We'll find out. 62 games left for them to, to get better. Yeah. Right now, certainly far from an average group. 26 in the league at that 12.5% uh, conversion clip, like you mentioned. But um, a special teams unit that certainly has been above average, at least in the last 10 games, um, has been that penalty kill. I uh, don't have the number in front of me exactly, but I believe uh, of the last 30 or the last 29, they've converted 27 of those, something like that. I think 27 probably... out of 29. Yeah. There you go. Plus, so... plus a couple shorthanded goals in there too. So really it's been a, it's a net of zero goals, right? Or maybe right. they only had one shorty, but they've been good. That's the point. Yeah. Either way, they've been good, but what's changed the first 10 games. There's a lot of moving parts, guys getting up to speed in the system the last 10 games maybe get more comfortable or is it a little bit deeper than that? What have you seen from the penalty kill that's allowed them to, you know, for lack of better phrasing, kind of do a 180 here and become one of the better units in the league? No, I think it's right. I think it's familiarity. I mean, we've seen in past years, the same kind of deal, um, the PK under Mike Vellucci kind of starting slow. Um, and it's aggressive scheme. I, I don't know that it's like completely unique 
um, in the NHL, but it, you know, some teams do it differently and you have new guys who come in who have to get used to, to, to playing that way. And also um, just with the aggressive style they play, you really need to have that kind of trust factor where all four guys are kind of on a string together. And that takes a little bit of a time. So I, I don't think they've changed much, if anything, in terms of the way they're playing. Um, they're still getting pretty good pressure up ice. They're still aggressive inside the zone. Um, you know, I think it's just they had a lot of new faces like you do every year getting integrated. Um, I think goaltending is, has been better, and that obviously is important when it comes to the PK to cover up their mistakes. And, you know, I just think it's a more talented unit than it was last year when you factor in Brian Rust, um, who looks like he's going to play Tuesday in Nashville. He being a regular in the PK, Latang being a regular in the PK again, Patterson making strides in that area. I just think they got a lot of talent, and it, they need a little bit of time to come together. Um, but now that they have, I, I think they're pretty good. I know Mike Sullivan said today he still thinks there's room for improvement there. I don't know if that was just like a coach being a coach where he's always going to nitpick. Um, you know, I, I don't know what they could do to get better, but um, it's been pretty good. And I think it's kind of buoyed them a little bit with the fact that the power play has been so bad, at least the PK is getting the job done that it's, it's almost been close to even in terms of that kind of differential. Has that at all been a surprise to you? Just given we talk so often about this roster, it's one of the oldest ones in the NHL. A lot of guys coming in. It's not like they got younger per se over the off season, right? Um, but you know, you, you mentioned Rust, you mentioned Latang being these two guys who are important getting into the fold, who didn't have as much PK time last year. Um, but it, has it been a surprise at all, just given the makeup of the roster, how effective it's been, or is um, the backgrounds of these guys, the ones they brought in, like an Achari, like a Nieto? These guys who have you know made careers, I guess, for uh, for being PK guys. Has that been something that you kind of expected this u- uh, unit to kind of find its footing? How it has? I mean, I would say what's surprising just that they came together so quickly. I mean, you know, you're talking at ten games for them to really kind of find their stride. I, I think that part is surprising just for the reasons we already talked about. Um, the fact that they're already performing well. Um, you know, we'll see if they can sustain it. I mean. You know, I, I don't think I looked at that personnel group heading into the year and thought, okay, this is going to be like a top five type PK. We'll see if they ultimately finish there. I think that would be surprising, but I at least thought they would be average. Um, you know, Riley Smith has killed penalties. Obviously, Achari is, um, you know, billed as that kind of guy. That's been one area that he's been really noticeable, I think, all year is his work in the PK. So, um, yeah, it's just I don't know if I thought that they would be this good this early or – you know, if they would be elite. Um, and we'll see if they can ultimately get to that point. You mentioned uh, Brian Russ pivoting topics here. Um, him coming back to practice, of course, today had been out, I believe it was the last three games with that injury. Um, no line rushes today at practice, though, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, with Brian Russ getting back into the fold here, we know when Mike Sullivan says game time decision that that usually means the guy's going to get back into the lineup. He's playing. I'm yeah. predicting it. <laughs> Call it from the cheap seats. Uh, Brian Russ getting into the lineup. Um, what would you expect for for him to get back into that top line? I know they've had Drew O'Connor get some reps there. Stick him on the second line with Ricard Raquel being out. What would be your best guess shot from the cheap seats here for what they do with Russ getting back in the fold? Well, I think I, I think there's two options, and then it's going to have a trickle-down effect on everyone else. Um, you know, obviously, Sid and Jake like playing with Brian Rust. And the three of their play together this year certainly justified keeping them together. They were, you know, they've been far and away the team's best line. They've scored more than half of their even strength goals, um, which is pretty ridiculous. I don't know if that says more about them or the other lines. 
Um, so you could certainly justify putting him on there. But I, I do think Drew's done okay on that line. He had a heck of a pass in their last game against Toronto to set up Jake. And my thought with that line is like, as long as the third guy isn't just like slowing him down, um, you can kind of get by. I mean, there were stretches. This is kind of a, a callback from a couple of years ago, but we saw like Dom Simone on that line. And no, it wasn't like a lasting solution, but um, you know, he was able to play on that line for stretches. And even though he wasn't producing, the line as a whole was producing. So I kind of think maybe we could see Sullivan keep Drew there for a little bit and put Rust on the line with Malkin and Riley Smith to try to get them going. I mean, they were awesome in October. They've really struggled. Um, and then Raquel came off the line. And even though he hadn't scored, that line got worse. I mean, you know, I don't think Riley Smith has scored since the blowout in your hometown of San Jose. Uh, Gino, what, it's been like November 11th was the last time he scored with a goalie in that. So I do wonder if they'll put Rust on that line as a way to get Gino going. I don't think it's a, a long-term solution, but, you know, trying to get that line up, get a little bit more balance. And then how does that affect Nylander, you know? Um, you know, I think we're looking at either Alex Nylander or Jansen Harkins, um, you know, getting booted off the roster when Russ comes back. Um, you know, I, I could see, you know, if if they're going to put um, – they're going to keep Drew in the top six with Rust in there as well. I would say that probably means Nylander's gone because he's not a bottom six type um, and maybe uh, Harkins stays. So, you know, I think there's more at play in just kind of – thinking, okay, where do we put Rust? It's going to have a trickle-down effect on potentially three lines, the second power play unit, the PK. Um, so it's a lot of factors for Solomon to consider. Um, I don't know. What's your prediction? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I was kind of – as you explained it out there, because I kind of had a hunch that that was where you were going to go with the answer, um, with the second and third line, of course. The way that I would expect it – I mean, I haven't gotten to monitor it as closely as you with Nylander and with Harkins, how they've played since getting into the fold here. But if I had to guess – just based off what the opening night roster was and who's gotten the more opportunities. I feel like Nylander gets the boot and you keep Harkins here just because he's a better bottom six fit. Um, but there's something to be said about the end of last season, 2022-23 season, given Nylander that run there on the second line, that they liked what they saw from him there, and it's been a small sample size here. I just don't think that that's what's going to happen. I think that you probably stick with Harkins, keep seeing what you have with him, versus Nylander feels like a little bit more of a known commodity and it's more about the scoring touch with him, with which if Russ is getting back into the fold and he can score goals from two feet away from the net, then maybe Nylander's value is a little bit less, right? Yeah, I mean, to put it bluntly, um, I just don't <laughs> – I don't know that Nylander is an NHL player. Yeah. Um, you know, he's kind of a tweener in the sense that he could produce in the AHL level. He has very good AHL skill. Um, but he plays a, you know, a finesse top six game but doesn't necessarily have – you know, NHL top six talent. So it's just kind of, you know, and I, I think probably the team feels the same way about Valtteri Pustin and as, you know, another guy who, yeah, he can score in the AHL, but he either has to, you know, he's got to play in the top six and maybe he's not skilled enough. So I don't know. We'll see how it works out. Um, not to say I've been, you know, thoroughly impressed with Harkins either, but at least he's a different type player and is, he's kind of a, a more sensible fit to play in a, in a bottom six role. Yeah, probably a speedier, more physical guy who slides in a little bit better there. Um, certainly just a challenge the Penguins have had to deal with here with Raquel being injured, certainly being on long-term IR, and Russ being out as long as he has been. Um, and Poulin. I mean, that's Sam Poulin. Yeah. This was like really an opportunity missed for him because he's been hurt. Um, and, you know, I don't know how close he is to returning, but, um, you know, this would have been a natural time for him to get called up. Um, assuming his play warranted it and and see if he could stick and 
you know, just bad luck again for him that he's out and not able to to kind of get this opportunity here. Yeah, Poulin's still rehabbing with the team, believe uh, in Pittsburgh, of course, out week to week with that injury. So a guy who, yeah, like you said, bad timing on his end. Um, one last topic for us to get into here before we wrap it up with some stick taps. Um, just briefly, goaltending. Um, this is something that's been a sore spot for a lot of fans uh, earlier in the season, of course. Tristan Jari was somebody who was a little bit of a pinata for a stretch there. But um, just based on what we're seeing, what you've been writing earlier this week, feels like him as well as Alex Indelkovich and the brief stretch we had there with Magnus Helberg. Safe to say the goaltending has maybe been a little bit better than expected? Or what's your what do you garner uh, from what we've seen from the netminders, the three of them, I guess, and maybe more so Jari uh, 20 games in here? I mean, I think they've been pretty good. I mean, not perfect. I know Jari um, still had his maddening inconsistencies throughout this year, but um, the two backups have gotten the job done. I mean, obviously the team has five shutouts in 20 games. That's not all goaltending, um, but still it's it's something. So if you look at the team-wide goaltending totals through 20 games, um, you know, the Penguins are in the top six and a lot of meaningful stats, including goal save above expected per game. Um, save percentage, slot, save percentage. So they're getting the goaltending they need um, over the over the kind of long haul here so far. And I think as it relates to Jari, I think you should feel encouraged. His numbers are getting better, those peripheral numbers I just talked about. Um, you know, I think he's like up to maybe 12th in the league and goal saved above expected. Um, so, yeah, it looks like he's finding his stride and just like throwing away the fancy stats, just watching him play. Um, you know, he seems to be playing better as well. I mean, it's never going to be pretty with him. Um, you know, a lot of times it looks like he's battling the puck. Um, he's not the most graceful guy, but he's making the saves. I think he's playing more confident and his game is kind of leveled out a little bit too in terms of consistency. So, you know, now that I've said that, he's going to play in Nashville and like, you know, score in his own net from the faceoff circle and, do a bunch of crazy stuff and they're going to lose like six, three. It just seems like anytime you expect Tristan to kind of, you know, get it going, that's what happens. But I do think he's trending in the right direction. If you just look at even the last two, three weeks, um, you know, I think there's maybe like one game in there where he was a problem. Um, but the rest of the games, he did everything he needed to win, you know? Yeah. Done what he needed to do. And that's especially coming in with that stretch kind of getting interrupted with the injury that maybe could have easily sidetracked some guys, but for Jari has been able to kind of continue it through that and play to that. Um, as you've coined it, the, the fall a play that Jari has, it always seems to have a good stretch each season. He's started to maybe produce one of those here, but um, something to keep continuing to have tabs on for sure. The man um, loves his pumpkin spice lattes. <laughs> they just they get him fired up. That your go-to order at Starbucks this time no, of year? No, 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 no. I don't. Uh, no, no, no. Pike Place. I get the same thing. A nice strong cup of coffee with a little bit of cream. Nothing fancy. Yeah, black coffee with a little splash. That's all you need. I'm right there with you. Um, okay, no coffee talk. We'll back to stick taps. We'll wrap it up here. Um, Matt, Puck's in your corner. Who are you giving out stick taps to this week? Uh, I'm going to give it to Noel Achari, your guy. Um, two weeks in a row for Noel, right? I mean – yeah. He was he was very good in uh, the Toronto game. Um, you know, I think it's fair to say that at least at five on five, he hasn't been as impactful as um, anticipated. I mean, I think his line has done pretty well in terms of goal prevention, but you know, he was kind of billed as this you know energy guy that was 
hitting people and blocking shots. And I, I think he just kind of blended in the background a lot initially, but um, that's changed in recent games. And, you know, Mike Sullivan thought his game against Toronto was his best of the season. And I would agree. I mean, not only did he, you know, have that great individual effort to pick off that pass and score, um, but he had a screen on Carlson's goal. I think he blocked three shots, a couple hits, um, you know, good work on the PK. And then I think the key thing from that game was down the stretch, Sullivan didn't play the Malkin line and he really didn't play the third line either. He relied on the Crosby line and Achari to close out that game. They were rotating shifts and um, Achari got the job done. So, you know, just one game, we'll see if you can build on it. But that game right there kind of was like, okay, this is what, you know, set the goal aside. Like this is what this guy was built as. And, and maybe now that he's a couple months into being with a new team and a new scheme um, that he's found in his way. And we're going to see more of that. We'll see. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned about that with the skill. Cause I remember Crosby, I think in what the story you wrote had a quote about that being a skilled goal or something like that, but how all these he was just are... agreeing with, he was being a nice Canadian man. I was like, Oh, that was a pretty goal. And he was like, yes, it was pretty. He's like, is that the quote you're looking for? Okay, good. <laughs> well, I'm in agreement with you. It was definitely a pretty goal. So I'm glad all three of us can agree on something, but um, it was just funny to me because anybody I talked to was like, Oh, just give it time. Like, He's a skilled guy. He's got it. He can pull one or two out of his bag. And I was like, well, I haven't seen it through this first 16, 17 games. But um, that element of Achari's game we've certainly seen here recently. We'll see if it sticks. Um, I'll give mine out to John Ludwig uh, for stick taps. Got him back in the lineup, coming back from that concussion. That was certainly a scary moment that you and I saw there. Um, I believe that was in the Dallas game. So for him getting back into the fold after those couple of games in Wilkes, getting back uh, into the starting lineup on that third pair with Ryan Shea, not to mention being in the lineup, but playing on his offside on that right-hand side, the left shot defenseman Ludwig is. Um, stick taps to him for getting in the lineup, especially because, you know, with the Penguins having Chad Ruedel and having POJ out, which maybe that's a good thing, um, just given the way that they were playing this year. But um, they needed Ludwig to be healthy, need him to be back, and is back in the lineup. So stick taps to John Ludwig as I continue to give out stick taps to third-pair defensemen. I think that's my trend so far this year. All right, so this podcast is wrapping up here in Nashville. What's the plan? What a, what a difficult life you have. You get to go out to California to spend a week from your family, and you come <laughs> right back, and you get two of the top road cities, Nashville and Tampa. I mean, those are like top five for me. So what's the plan in Nashville? Yeah, plan tonight. Um, so we're, we're recording this. I'm wrapping up around 530. Going to gonna get out there we'll, we'll figure out where i gotta i gotta look into that so if you have any recommendations you'd like to share in the podcast who's we like no <laughs> one thinks you're going out with anyone but anyway who's we <laughs> me would be solo that's you guessed correct well but. you might see some of the some members of the organization at tootsies that would be maybe where you want to end up later okay. in the evening tootsies that is that like a when we say later in the evening is that 9 30 or is that like 11 30 later in the evening well it wouldn't be too too late because it's a uh, they got a game tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Now, no, if it was an off day or a practice day, um, you might get into the the AM. But oh, noted. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, I do have to do my usual uh, my look into the local culinary, see where I'm going to get it. first time in Nashville, so I got to figure out where I'm going to get a chicken sandwich. I got to be a tourist, so any any wrecks there will be gladly taken as well. I mean, the recommendation would be like don't get the hot take the mild option okay 
Yeah, unless you're like one of those lunatics who like likes to eat habanero peppers. Like I like buffalo stuff, but I mean, for the draft, I went to a place and I got a hot chicken sandwich, and like I was like literally just drooling. It was disgusting. It was so hot. I, there was nothing I could do about it. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't go that far. That would be my only recommendation: is don't yeah. get too much spice. I'm the same with you. I like spice. Like I can handle it, but at some point, you're like. Are you challenging yourself just to say that you're strong and can take spice? Or are you actually enjoying what you're eating? Like, there's yeah. a fine line to balance there, right? So, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. We, we got it's it's five thirty, so I got I got some time. But I, I have to all right, go go out there and get after it. Let's uh, <laughs> let's let's get you out the door right now. All right, I'm out of here. That's all. Thanks, guys, for checking in for our weekly chat. We'll be back next week. For Matt Mensel, I'm Andrew Destin signing off here in Nashville, and I will catch you guys, or we will all catch you guys soon. Thank you for checking out this content from Post-Gazette Sports. If you watch this video on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to our channel. For all of the sports coverage the Post-Gazette has to offer, visit post-gazette.com.